So again, good evening. And as I like to do, particularly periodically, connect my reflection tonight on what's happening in the world. And I've been talking about this on and off for the last three weeks. Something I said a, a couple weeks ago bears repeating. That we all live our life according to stories. Some of those stories may be unconscious, beyond our awareness, but they play themselves out in our lives. And some of the stories may be very conscious and we're aware of the stories. But we all live our lives according to stories. And I think in the context of the world in which we're living in, I think there's, we essentially have to choose between one of two stories. The first story is easy to buy into, and that's the story of nihilism. That there is no ultimate meaning and purpose to life. That there is no God, no divine presence at the core of anything. And that the future for the human race is hopeless. The future for the environment is hopeless. That's one story. And again, it's very tempting to live that story. The other story is that there is a God, and by God I don't mean a hero in the sky or a superhero in the sky, but there is a divine consciousness, a divine presence, fully embedded in part of history, and in some way, guiding our individual and collective history towards a higher, more evolved conclusion. Those are fundamentally the two stories that we have, I think, to choose from. We may all nuance them a little bit differently, but again, I think those are the two fundamental stories. And whatever story we buy in is going to determine the quality of our lives. These stories are not just add-ons. They determine how we see, how we experience life, how we see ourselves, and how we see the future. Let me put it in a context. At the end of the Second World War, there were a number of Jews who were still alive in a concentration camp. And they were under very uh, difficult circumstances. And the temptation to nihilism was great. And so somehow they constructed this meeting where they were putting God on trial. And there were people that were arguing the case for God and people arguing the case against God. How can there be a God? How can there be a personal God who cares for us when all this is happening? And they went back and forth. And finally, a very wise man gave his two cents. And what he said is, the evil wants us to lose faith. The evil wants us to lose hope. The evil wants us to be nihilistic, because then they win. And we can't let them win. We 
can't let that story win. We can't let the dark powers seduce us into nihilism. Somehow we have to have faith in God, faith in ourselves, and faith in the future. That's how we fashion a new and better future. So let me say this. It's not a coincidence that you are here at this point in history. It's not a roll of the cosmic dice. You are here. We are all here because we play some part in the positive evolution of the human race. You're here because God has a role for you to play in light overcoming darkness. You are here specifically designed in the way that God designed you, whether you're perfect or not, you are here because you can make a difference, I can make a difference, we can make a difference in what way the future is going to move and go. That's how much faith God has in you, that he placed you here at this point in history. But the opposite or the inverse is really true also. You are here in this history so that you can grow and you can evolve. So you're here to help the evolution of the human race to unfold, and you're here so that your own evolution can unfold so that you can grow, so that you can heal, so that you can live a divine life. It's both and. So, I'm going to make a claim. I'm not saying the hard times are over. We're in a period of intense purification. I'm not naive, but I am filled with faith and hope. Somehow we're going to figure this out, eventually. We're not going to destroy ourselves. We're not going to destroy the environment, because this is God's world. I have faith in God. And I have faith in spite of everything in humanity. We, as a race, have survived so many catastrophes. We will survive this. Every time you and I pray, every time you and I meditate, every time you and I do some selfless service, some deed of love and compassion, we're doing two things. In the present moment, we are tilting the world towards God's truth, beauty, and goodness. We are tilting the world towards light and love. Everything we do makes a difference. But we're not only doing that, we are seeding the collective consciousness of the human race, and we are seeding the future. 
everything we do in this moment, sooner or later is going to bear fruit, even as soon as tomorrow. So again, all of our spirituality, all of our faith, all of our love, all of our practices, all of our good deeds is tilting the world in a positive direction today and is sowing seeds that will blossom in the future. We are made in the divine image of God. We're meant to walk planet Earth as gods, and I say that in complete humility. It's only in God and through God that we can do that. But we're meant to walk planet Earth as gods creating good, creating order out of chaos. That's what it means to be a human being. That's what it means to be made in a divine image. That's what we are called to do and to be. Now, one little qualification. I talked about this a few weeks ago in the understanding of world cycles of Kriya Yoga. Sri Yukteswar Yogananda's guru said, essentially, we're only one foot out of the Dark Ages. Kali Yuga, it's called. And what that means is the powers of chaos are at war with the powers of truth, beauty, and goodness. And I said this a couple, again, a couple weeks ago. We're not going to see world peace in your lifetime, my lifetime, our children's lifetime, our grandchildren's lifetimes. It doesn't mean that we do not make a difference. We are on the cutting edge of evolution. We are the vanguard of God's evolutionary plan for creation. We're just not going to see it completely realized in our lifetime, but we don't have to. I'll tell you a story about Yogananda. Just a few years before Yogananda died, a little bit of background, he had two holy sites. One was the, the mother center in L.A. where he lived, and the other one was his um, hermitage in Encinitas. About two years, they were, those were already built and flourishing. About two years before he died, he got a call from someone and said, listen, I have this parcel of land. It's in L.A. It has a huge pond, small lake in the middle of it. Would you like it? And Yogananda said, where do you live? Let's talk. And he dropped everything and he went and he, he took it. And for the next two years, he and all of his disciples spent enormous amounts of time creating it, building it. He had a vision. He had an, he had a, an inspired, uh, imaginative vision for what he wanted the lake shrine to look like. In the last two years of his life, he worked very hard to bring that into form. And it was only there for about a year before he died. This is the point. He didn't build it because he was going to enjoy it. He built it so his followers for, would enjoy it for centuries. He built it for those that were going to come after him. That's love. That's selflessness. That's giving yourself over to something larger than yourself. So again, everything we do makes a difference. We're not always going to see the fruits of it right now, but we don't have to. 
We're not doing it just for us. We're not doing it for just this generation. Again, every act of faith and love and hope builds a future for tomorrow, and that's what we're called to do individually, and that's what the Assisi Institute is called to do. Just what Yogananda did. To build a shrine of goodness that will echo through the centuries. So how do we do it? You know, I always start out with this. The foundation, contemplative prayer and meditation, contemplative prayer and meditation, meditation and contemplative prayer. They're really the same thing. What happens when we enter into that silent communion with God day after day? Our spiritual antennas become finely tuned and our intuitions become sharp and functional and clear as they were meant to be. We develop uh, clairvoyance, clear seeing, clear audio, clear hearing. And we're attuned to the voice of God. We're attuned to the will of God. And it just flows through us and it empowers us. So it starts there, period. But I want to talk about three outgrowths of that meditation, ways that we can do this every day in our lives. And they're very simple. Faith, hope, and love. They're the three primary virtues. So let me start talking about faith. Let me say what faith is not. Faith is not belief. I believe in God. Okay, that's nice. That's not faith necessarily. Faith is a verb. And faith is the marriage of two forces. It's the marriage of God inspiring us, moving us. It's like, a, it's like the wind of God, the breath of God, the spirit of God, moving us in new directions. That's half of the verb. The other half is our willingness to say yes and to move with it. Part of why I did the meditation with you tonight, the guided meditation, is I'm suggesting that every day you think about what would it be like to be enlightened? What would it be like to be in a state of perfect God communion? What would it be like, like to not be driven by fear but love? Have faith in your imagination. Have faith in your ability to see that and to perceive that because that's how it enters time and space. That's how it begins to manifest in you. Let me give you a story from the Jewish scriptures that captures this, this whole element of faith. Abraham, the father of the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims. Abraham had a very comfortable life. We're living in his father's tent. All of his needs were, father had a big, you know, uh, flock. He had an easy life. Be like many 30-year-old men now just living at home and playing video games all the time, Okay. And then God spoke to him and said, Abraham, I'm going to do some big things through you. He heard that movement, that inspiration. And he said, okay, what do you want me to do? Well, I'm going to take you to this promised land, but I'm not telling you where it is right now. You just got to get up and move. Leave the video games behind 
Leave the security and comfort of your father's tent and flock behind and take your wife and just go. I will lead you, but you got to move. You got to give me something to work with. You got to take a risk. Spirituality is not about finding some sort of safe place in the world. Spirituality is the great adventure. And we don't always know where we're going, but we just have to go. We have to listen, we have to meditate, we have to pray, and then we have to begin to just move somewhere. And as we move somewhere, more and more is revealed to us. But we have to be willing to move, to enter into the adventure, to take the risk. You've heard me say this before. Vicki and I started in 2003 with the Assisi Institute with three people on a Thursday night. That's what I knew God was calling us to then. Just start somewhere. I didn't know what I was doing. I was a terrible Korea leader. I know some of you are saying I'm not much better now. Another discussion, another time. Okay? But we just started somewhere and kept on putting one foot in front of the other, listening, trusting, taking a risk. That's the adventure. That's faith. That's what faith is. Not belief. It's a verb, it's inspiration, and it's movement. Hope. I want to make this very clear. Hope is not optimism. On a human level, I'm not optimistic about the human race. On a human level, what my five senses can perceive. I'm not optimistic. Faith is not optimism. It's not wishful thinking. It's a spiritual virtue. It's the intuition of God's presence and God's light in the midst of the darkness. It is a light force that gives us strength in the darkness. And it's like it deposits in us this hope that God is the most powerful. God's love is the most powerful force in creation. And I can't see it now. I don't understand it now. It doesn't make sense to my logical mind. But somehow I know that love is going to win the day because God's love is the most powerful force in creation. It's an intuition of that light that sustains us in the darkness. I'll give you an example from my own personal life. Many of you know my story. When I was 16, I went to live with a wonderful foster family. I grew up in the inner city of Rochester. They lived in a farm out in the country, outside of Newark. And the first year I was with them, my junior year of high school, I was tempted with despair. See, despair and hope are bedfellows. We only have need hope when we're in despair. I didn't like living on the farm. I didn't like my foster parents at first. I was used to running my life. I was a dropout of high school. I had no discipline. They forced me to be disciplined. I didn't like it. But there was this hope, this light on the inside that said, it doesn't make sense now, but it will. And that first year, it was that light of hope that sustained me. It doesn't make sense now. But somehow God is in the middle of this. And God's going to make good come out of this. That's hope. Not wishful thinking. It's not optimism. Right now we need hope. It doesn't make sense. I'm telling you, God is in the middle of everything. 
God wasn't caught by surprise when COVID came. God wasn't caught by surprise when the war in the Ukraine came. And God is not caught by surprise in the Middle East. God has woven all of that, all of our stupidness, into his plan. So we have to have hope. Light in the darkness that sustains us. And that holds us. That's hope. All right, I'm going to stretch your, your minds a little bit. Because um, I just want to make it really clear that hope is not wishful thinking. People will say to me occasionally, do you really believe Jesus resurrected from the dead? Yep. So did Yogananda. Somebody asked me last week, do you really believe that Babaji has this immortal body? Yep, so did Yogananda. Well, how do you believe that? And my response is very simple. We don't know the limits of what's possible when we are completely surrendered to God. Babaji completely surrendered to God. Jesus completely surrendered to God. All right, so what does this have to do with hope? Well, it tells us if it's true that God's love is more powerful than even death itself. You see, that's not wishful thinking. It's based in a reality. It's based in a truth that God's love is more powerful than anything else. It's more powerful than death. It's more powerful than all the dark powers. That's hope. You have this intuition that you just know that it's true and somehow God is sustaining you and somehow God will bring light out of the darkness. All right, the last thing is love. And love is a big topic. But I'm going to say it this way and keep it very simple. First of all, we don't love with our own love. There's only one love that's God's love. When we're really loving somebody, I mean truly loving, selflessly serving their highest good, we are borrowing the love of God. One love, God is love. All right? But I want to talk about one quality of love that's very important, and we need it now more than ever. That's empathy. Empathy is the capacity to enter into someone else's world. It's the capacity to enter into someone else's experience, especially those people that you don't like, you know, the Republicans or the Democrats, the Muslims, the Jews. It's the capacity to enter into their experience and to experience a oneness with them. Because if you do, guess what? You're going to love them. You're going to experience them as your brother and sister even when you disagree with them. Once you touch somebody else's soul, there's a connection. That's what empathy is. It's the capacity to touch someone else's soul, to enter into the depth of their being. And once you do that, they can't be your enemy even if they are your enemy. When Jesus said, love others as you love yourself, we've reduced that to a psychological statement. Oh, I have to feel good about myself if I'm going to love you. That's not what he meant. What he meant is love other people as an extension of yourself. Empathy gives us that experience of knowing that someone else is an extension of me. 
Because I love my wife, Vicki, I experience her as an extension of me. She has her own individuality. But if I hurt her, I'm going to hurt myself. See, that's what empathy is. That's an aspect of love. So I'm going to give you a mantra that I suggest you practice if you want to be more loving. And I'm paraphrasing something Gandhi said. Every day, try this. I'm a Christian. I'm a Jew. I'm a Palestinian. I'm a Russian. I'm a Ukrainian. I'm black. I'm white. I'm a believer, and I'm an atheist. That's love. Living from that reality, that consciousness. I'm going to close with a quote from somebody that I'm sure will be made a Catholic saint someday. His name is Solanus Casey. I'll give you a little bit about his background. Probably died in the 40s, maybe early 50s. He was studying to be a Franciscan priest, and shortly before they ordained him, they pulled him aside and they said, we got good news and bad news. Bad news, you flunked your theology test. Good news, we're still going to ordain you. Bad news, you can say mass, but you can't preach and you can't hear confessions because you're too dumb. You might say the wrong things. Can you imagine? But he had faith. He had hope. And he had love. He said, okay. So they gave him a job as being the door answerer. When people came, you know, to where the Franciscans lived, he was the one that answered the door. And he had a kind and gentle spirit. So people would say, brother, would you pray for this need? And he would say, okay, and he'd write it down in his book. And he would spend all night praying. Miracles began to happen. Literal miracles. He got so popular that they used to move him around from city to city because literally hundreds of people would come every day to the door. That dumb, childlike man believing in God's goodness, having faith, hope, and charity changed the life of countless people. I'm going to read a prayer that he wrote or sang. Do not pray for, this is, think about this, what I said about the great adventure of life. Do not pray for easy lives. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Do not pray for tasks to be equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. That's faith. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be a living miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself 
at the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God. And repeat that last line. Every day you shall wonder at yourself at the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God. So I'm going to make a bold statement, then I'll be quiet. Someday, generations and generations and generations and generations from now, people are going to look back and they're going to say, boy, we owe a debt of gratitude to Yogananda and his people. Boy, we owe a debt of gratitude to people who really took Jesus' words at face value. Boy, we owe a debt of gratitude that those people back in 2023 had the courage and the faith to believe that the best was yet to come for the human race. We owe them a debt of gratitude. The divine in me bows before the divine in each one of you.